major fantasy football adjustments we must make heading into week eight. Who fills in for Brees Hall on the Jets? What does Sam Ellinger starting for the Colts mean for Michael Pittman, mean for Jonathan Taylor? Is DJ Moore now relevant with PJ Walker? I mean, the big question, plus 30 Ooh. more other notes covering every single team. That's what this show is for. Stats versus film, taking Hayden Winks' fantasy usage model while also pulling up NFL game tape for you to see with the hope of really finding the answer by combining both sources of information. Hayden, how are you feeling? This was one of my favorite weeks to watch the All-22. It was absolute chaos. I love when there's new players getting involved back in our lives. And a little bit of narrative busting. So this would be one of the best shows of the entire season, I think. And and some level, and we'll get into this, like the NFL landscape is changing where like all these teams with veteran quarterbacks that we believed in aren't hitting their stride and teams that, you know, failed in certain areas to start this season have morphed in how they played. It's going to be a lot of fun. You all know that we go team by team. So if you're tuning in for the first time, just hit in the timestamp of the team that you most care about. But the true sickos stick with us for the whole way through. Let's kick it off. Arizona Cardinals. DeAndre Hopkins is back in our life. 14 targets, 10 receptions, 103 yards. What stood out to me here for D-Hop was that he saw 27 slot snaps, which in comparison to last year, his highest number was 10. And it wasn't just on the left side. He saw 15 snaps of 60 total on the right side. So I don't want to jump to conclusions here on the first team, but maybe, oh, maybe is Cliff learning and evolving just a little bit? I think so, because we saw it with Marquise Brown, who was playing this, like, quote unquote, DeAndre Hopkins role. We saw it after the first couple of games moving in the slot. They were getting him um, some screens, all that fun stuff. Uh, but the slot usage and the right side of the field is brand new. And this offense clearly needs it. He goes all the way to wide receiver one overall in fantasy usage. That's of course Ooh. a one game sample. I was concerned on that play that he didn't have the, the right burst, but then there's a couple other plays that he looked relatively back to normal. He's the only player that stands over six foot one and about over 176 pounds in this offense. So he's going to be the main focus in the red zone, at least until James Conner gets back. And I think that he's fresher right now than anyone he's playing against. So I'm expecting him to be better than, than what I thought coming into the season. I think that I'll be ranking him inside the top 12 this week. The Cardinals are middle of the pack when it comes to touchdown rate. Once they reach the red zone, um, we know they had just haven't had a ton of snaps in there. And when they do, you know, it's Kyler Murray running the football a lot. That's why James Conner, whether it be health or whatever is just not hitting home. Obviously in this game, we got, Eno Benjamin, we got Keontae Ingram inside the 10, inside the 20 yard touches. So the one game that James Conner misses, he doesn't get those. Uh, one final point here for DeAndre Hopkins. You mentioned that he had insane usage in week one or excuse me, the first week that he's back. If you take that production and 15.3 fantasy points, that would make him, and you can't exactly do this, but it's fun to keep it in mind, the wide receiver seven overall in points per game. Like that's where that barometer is at for him. Uh, I do wonder like what happens to then this usage if Marquise Brown comes back, because maybe it would be beautiful if both of them are used all over the formation, you know, and all from yeah. different spots instead of just left wide receiver, then right wide receiver. And then the slot, you know, truly between the grouping, but it was a really promising first performance. I thought for nuke, which is very different coming off injury versus coming off a PED suspension. Let's yep. put it that way. 
100 percent uh rondo more quickly season low 3.7 expected half ppr points did play 94 percent of the routes they use a couple more two tight end sets i remember when he first started doing this podcast josh it was all four wide receiver sets yep now we're getting to two tight end sets it's been kind of a, a full transformation robbie anderson goes out there only 22 percent routes i think every single one of them was basically a deep pattern that's what he's going to be instead of aj green we'll see what happens with uh james connor if he's close to returning 11.5 and 17.1 expected half ppr points for Eno benjamin in start so he's locked into top 15 top 20 fantasy rankings assuming james connor is out i don't want to jump to conclusions but this is a forward-thinking show when Robbie Anderson gets comfortable in this offense, when Marquise Brown comes back, could we see in now this three wide receiver grouping, a rotation of Rondell Moore and Robbie Anderson, you know, with the two players that they spend a bunch of money and a bunch of draft picks on in Nuke and in Marquise Brown being the two that are out there in all situations. So on some level, before that happens, it's like the best we could possibly get from Rondell Moore for the rest of this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not that optimistic for him. Anything you want to say about these running backs? I mean, they they split split it up not evenly per se. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Benjamin. My concern moving forward for like James Conner shares per se, which have been brutal so far this year, again because of the lack of high value touches and you know injuries that go along with it. Is Eno's look good from mm-hmm. like how much they are paying him and the draft capital invested in him? So I do wonder rather than the 70 to 80% workload that we're seeing for James Conner to start the season, if they make it closer to the Edmonds Conner situation from last year, you can make a pretty good argument that, you know, Benjamin is exactly like chase Edmonds. So I, I would have to agree. He's been more explosive. All the advanced metrics are saying that, you know, Benjamin has been better than James Conner. And I think that James Conner has been as elusive this year, just based off my eyes. I don't know what those metrics are uh, compared to last year. Atlanta Falcons. They threw the ball, what, 15 times? It's tough. I think it was 13. I mean, we talked about it on Sunday night show. Hopefully you're tuning into that, where you're down by 21 points, and then you throw the ball 15 times for the rest of the game. Uh, this maybe needs to be just a period where we ask, at what point do you just not play Kyle Pitts? Mm-hmm. Like, is that a fair assumption to make? Because he's not getting high value targets, even though he just did that ones that are, you know, at least acknowledgeable as legit options. And I don't know when or how or why this team would change what they're doing. Cause it pretty much seems set that Arthur Smith believes this is their best path to victory. Yeah. They didn't try to pass the ball last week, which is super terrifying. He's the tight end 18 in usage over the last month of the season. I will say that they tried to get Kyle Pitts going on a couple of these. I mean, this one was a clear defensive holding. That would have been a touchdown if that defender just didn't, you know, just hold on to him. And then the next play they go throw the ball where he just gets absolutely stuffed. This is the, this is the Julio Jones curse. Like how is that not a touchdown? And then finally, I think this is actually earlier in the game. They try to get a screen pass to him. If there's one block, Kyle Pitts is probably still running. So they're, they're trying when they are passing to get the ball to Kyle Pitts. But the problem is they're just not passing the ball at all. Uh, they're basically like the Bears offense at this point. So I, I don't know what's going to change because like CPAT's due back in two weeks. What, what are we supposed to do? Okay, let's do this. Let's play a little game. Where is the Kyle Pitts line? You know, let's say 12 team leagues redraft. Obviously, are you starting Kyle Pitts ahead of Hayden Hurst, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, Pat Freymuth? None of these names. I can't do it. Yeah, I'm not sure. 
They're, <laughs> he doesn't want to say it. Well, give me, give me until Thursday. Give me till what? Thursday. What do you have to think through? Matchups, everything. I mean, after let's say Hayden Hurst is a cliff because after that's like, well, Disley, Mike Kosicki. So I mean, half these guys are not even healthy right now. Darren Waller, D- uh, David Njoku. Like, I mean, what are we? It's doing? also twelve to thirteen names I named, and that's not including like, you know, some that might be coming up here to take the position of the players who are injured. Anyways, anything you want to say about this running back grouping too? Because we still have at least a week or two until Cordero Patterson comes back. Um, it's a mess. I think it's a mess. Yeah. Tyler Algier did get the goal line carries last week, which was new. Caleb Hundley was that that guy. But uh, in his three starts, Tyler Algier, 6.9 half PPR points on 10.9 expected half PPR points. I don't think he has enough juice. Um, and a lot of these touches are like at the 50-yard line. They don't mean that much. So right now, RB31 usage over the last month. Uh, it's no bueno. Baltimore Ravens. Let's start the running back position because Gus Edwards is going to – be a popular name here over the next few days. 16 carries, 66 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, we have seen other running backs come back from, let's say, significant knee injuries, and they just don't look right. You can look at J.K. Dobbins. There was nothing to me in Gus Edwards' game that mm-hmm. said he did not look right. You know, I think they used him in exactly the way of why they paid him that pretty hefty contract before. And I, I don't see any of that changing, despite, you know, Maybe a lack of big plays, but like this consistent motor is something that this team has failed to have so far this year when so many of their runs with Mike Davis to Kenyon Drake to so on and so forth have been stopped for no gain or losses. Yeah, I think Gus Edwards is going to be the early down bruiser. There was It wasn't the perfect game for him late in the game. Uh, when they were icing the game out, it was Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake. Now, I don't know if that's because it was his first game back and they already used up his snaps, but he did have 12.7 expected half PPR points and performed over expectation. Some of these carries were nothing too special. That's an easy touchdown for him, but that's what you get in this offense. I do want to note that the Ravens started the season earlier, passing the ball more in neutral situations. They've scaled that back recently. And I think we'll have to talk about Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews, but uh, they haven't played as well, specifically Rashad Bateman. And they have been running the ball more, more two tight end sets. They're getting, we're seeing a lot more Patrick Ricard. So I think they're going to try to get Gus Bus going. And for the waiver wire show, I think I'll probably be ranking him as like a top 25 ish back. Um, so I think that he deserves some waiver wire attention. Lots of pulling, lots of lead blockers, like you said, um, for Gus Edwards to cut off of. Only one carry of 10 plus yards. Um, but the coolest part of this is that Lamar Jackson is the difference for the rushing game and really the why the passing game has kind of taken a few steps back and the offense is still, you know, somewhat successful. It's because he is on pace to, you know, break his single season rushing record for the quarterback position, which yeah. is pretty nuts. So let's dovetail this into the passing game too, because I think that's important to talk about. In the opening of the season, three touchdowns passing, three touchdowns, then four touchdowns. Games of, you know, 213, 318, and 218 passing yards for Lamar Jackson. Ever since, 144, 174, 210, and 120, and just three passing touchdowns in that span. We're coming off a game where Mark Andrews had no production, right? Um, can this be fixed? Can this be remedied? Can this be righted? Because it's weird to have such a vision of this passing offense in week three and then it tanking, basically, in the last four weeks. Yeah, so... Mark Andrews in particular, he was on the injury report coming into this game. And we did note that, that the floor is probably lowered this week because he didn't practice. 
that much. Now, they did get him involved in other ways. I posted a couple clips onto Twitter. QB, like Wildcat stuff, under setter pitches to uh, Lamar Jackson. He got held uh, on a, a, a like a post route that could have been a touchdown. So it wasn't that he wasn't completely irrelevant, but I think like that play, maybe a healthier Mark Andrews makes that play. We'll see. He didn't practice today. They play on Thursday. We'll see what his status is when we do our ranking show. But right now his floor is lower while he battles through, I think, knee and ankle injuries. To me, the bigger concern here, it was Rashad Bateman. Earlier yeah. in the season, he had those big explosive plays. What I'm starting to notice, and it's kind of frightening for me, is he keeps getting kind of handled physicality-wise. And it's starting to scare me a little bit here at the top of his routes. Um, and I, I, I was having bigger expectations. He had a drop. He had that bobble at the goal line that should have been a touchdown. But there's some other routes where he wasn't you know, earning those targets or after the catch wasn't breaking that tackle. And I thought I had a little bit more physicality coming from Rashad Bateman. And that's probably why he's still only running uh, around on 73% of dropbacks. They still take him out in some of these rushing looks. And I think it comes down to this physicality. Four receptions for 42 yards this past game. He was a DNP with a foot injury uh, on Tuesday and they it. play on Thursday. So, you know, he might even be out of this game. We talked about him again on Sunday night show where I think for us to see the best version of the Baltimore Ravens this year, we have to see Rashad Bateman as a member of this playmaking group. Because look, we saw that when they put up 38 points against the Miami Dolphins. We saw that when they put up 24 in week one with that deep shot for a touchdown. You know, he, I think he's talented, but I'm with you. Like after the catch at times, he almost has taken from Marquise Brown previously where he like falls down before contact yeah. rather than trying to pick up yards after the catch. There's a really nice third and 11 conversion and a great throw. I thought from, from Lamar Jackson, but it was like a, a fade away that was a second or third window throw, but then you know, he was dropped short of the sticks on third and nine inside the five yard line target. He didn't get the end zone, just not clicking. And yeah. I want it to because I headed into the season. Maybe I just need to reset my opinion on him. But I head into the season thinking like, hey, you have Mark Andrews in the middle. You have Rashad Bateman who can win in one on one in isolation. We saw it against Miami. We have not seen yeah. it since. Not really yeah. one time since. Really? Yeah, it's it's the yards after the catch. Maybe it's just the foot injury, but man, I don't know. This is this starting to get pretty concerned. He looks pretty skinny. You know, he looks a little skinnier in, in these Ravens uniforms. I don't know if it's the the purple and, and the black, uh, but right now, zero games above 7.8 expected half PPR points this entire season. He's currently the wide receiver 59 in usage. I was completely wrong on him coming into this year. I'm fully resetting expectations until I just see a little bit more out of him. He's still got speed and all like separation yeah. ability. It's the rest of it to be like a true alpha. Because if you zoom out, Mark Andrews, who's a dominant quote unquote X, let's put him that way. Yes. Then Rashad Bateman, manufactured touch juice with Devin Duvernay, a quarterback that adds this entirely different element where teams really can't play man coverage and was doing much better earlier this season and empty and against the blitz. And then now a consistent yards churner and first down picker upper in Gus Edwards. That should be enough with the offensive line getting a bit healthier as we go along too. But again, these last three weeks, we haven't seen that. Yeah. And, I want and they're running more. And they're running more. Buffalo Bills are coming out of a bye week. Um, do you have one question for them as we move forward? I guess my one point is we've basically seen three fully healthy games for Gabriel Davis. That is just equal 10 catches, but it's also for 333 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, if only he earned more targets, Hayden. 
he is a negative touchdown uh, regression candidate according to my model. But um, yeah, I mean, what do what do you want me to do? They're going to be projected for thirty points every week, and he's going to be out there every single snap. Like he's, it's hard to rank him outside the top twenty four. It doesn't really matter the matchup. I do think we have a debate with Isaiah McKenzie, who's actually a positive regression candidate. Yes, since Jameson Crowder's injury, fifteen point one nine and eight point three expected half PPR points and full PPR. That would be even. Higher, he is going to be facing Khalil Shakur, who's a post by rookie bump candidates. First time I've been able to say that on the podcast. Uh, they'll be battling out for for three wide receiver sets, and they keep throwing Odell's name. I think that's probably for a postseason run here. But um, I, I think the big story for me is Dawson Knox. Yep, he's started to have a couple of good games down the, uh, after being banged up with like knee and ankle and foot and all that stuff. I'm hopefully out of the bye. He's left off the injury report. We can start seeing some tight end uh, one weeks because of touchdowns. You took both my notes with Khalil Shakur being a candidate for post by rookie bump. And then also with Knox, you know, week one, it was really fun blocking schemes to slow down Aaron Donald and keeping them in when, you know, they were kind of gelling along the offensive line. Um, they started to use Gilliam a bit more often as like a hybrid fullback and tight Love end that dude. when they really haven't had a second tight end on the roster. Um, and so if they become more accustomed with him and comfortable with him to stay in line or pick up pieces, then, you know, Dawson Knox can be that explosive element down the field when, you know, more and more of these tight ends are, are, are getting hurt. So, yeah, Dawson Knox is the element I could see being added to make the Buffalo Bills even better as we move forward. And it's so clear. Again, I'll repeat this in neutral or negative game scripts. Devin Singletary is playing like 76% of the snaps. Mm -hmm. So what we are getting from him now, when you've had great weeks against like what the dolphins and then bad weeks in the same exact usage. I just think that that's like the train of who Devin Singletary is. And still inside of the five or the 10 yard line, Josh Allen is their number one playmaker. And you can't really expect the high value touches that we covet so much at the running back position. Yeah, and Singletary, I don't think he's had a good season. He's outperformed fantasy expectations where he was an ADP, but I don't think he's looked that great. Maybe James Cook gets more involved. Zach Boss was a healthy scratch coming in, but James Cook's like dropped every single pass this right. year, too. It's like, been bad. We do talk about rookies coming out of buys. It would be a shock for James Cook to like then immediately get yeah. a role when right. Devin Singletary has, has looked more promising and more uh, trustworthy in yeah. that role so far this year, despite them bringing in James Cook and trying to bring in J.D. McKissick. Carolina Panthers. Oh, man, there's multiple things to talk about here. Let's first talk about the passing game, okay? DJ Moore, 10 targets, 7 receptions, 69 yards, and a score. The Carolina Panthers traded away draft picks for Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Matt Corral all to see P.J. Walker step in and have the best quarterback performance that this team has witnessed over the last two seasons. So I, I want to quickly hit on DJ Moore. Last year when CMC missed games, he averaged 13.7 expected half PPR points. That dropped to 9.9, so about a difference of four expected half PPR points last year. And then this year, in the first six games of the year, 9.4 expected half PPR points, which is not good. And then last week, in a huge win, Yep. Where they weren't even throwing the ball in the fourth quarter, he had 12.1. So we're starting to see the sample size grow, and obviously it makes sense all the manufacturer stuff that CMC would be getting uh, is going to DJ Moore. Could we pause this play right here? This was like one of the most impressive plays of the entire week for me. PJ Walker, you, you have this uh, pre-snap look where it looks like it's going to be cover three. You have all this pressure. He has to sort this thing out. The Bucks rotate to c- cover two, and he hits this whole shot d- down on the sideline here. 
if that's a cover three look pre-snap, that corner would be dropping off. But he read that perfectly, saw the rotation from the safeties and threw it on there. This is a full read progression. Dime Love to it. DJ Moore. He has a throw to the back of the end zone. I believe it's this one uh, against quarters. Perfect spot to throw this pass. There was a lot of good throws from PJ Walker. I don't want to get carried away here, but I'm not surprised after watching this game that the coaching staff was like, yeah, we don't see a reason why we're going to be benching PJ Walker. This is the best quarterbacking the Panthers have gotten by a wide margin this year. But we should be stunned to see this because it was against the Bucs and what we saw the previous week when PJ Walker had a negative A dot. This was totally unpredictable. What oh, they did do is, is pick on 27 a lot. In this game, not just with DJ Moore, but also with Terrace Marshall, who had another big play that he dropped along the sideline, too. Um, I love this play from PJ because he gives you the mobility that Baker Mayfield thinks he has. Absolutely mm -hmm. doesn't. And when Baker Mayfield tries to throw on the run, he's incredibly inaccurate. And as you said, this is basically a third window throw here that it looks like some panic, but he settles himself. And now he's even with the defender, yet he knows that this route is taken completely to the sideline and makes it for a 17, 20-yard gain. Like, this is exactly what we want to see. I truly have no idea and zero confidence in the Panthers moving forward. This right. Hayden could easily be a snapshot and the peak of the Panther season that we just saw, or it could be a little bit of life that we mm -hmm. see some things funneled to DJ Moore. We see some things funneled to this passing game a bit more often to the tune of, I don't know, 50 yards and a touchdown each week was a huge upgrade yeah. from yeah. what we saw from DJ Moore earlier this season. Yeah, DJ Moore over the last month of the season now is up to the wide receiver 19 in fantasy usage. So he was a hell of a buy low. I think that those on-off splits without Christian McCaffrey and throwing Robbie Anderson, uh, I think are really going to take shape. And at least we've seen uh, PJ Walker play pretty well. Let's talk about the rest of this team, including the running backs, because when Christian McCaffrey leaves, a lot of touches go with him. And not only did P.J. Walker throw all over the Bucs, the Panthers ran right through them. I mean, Deontay Foreman, 15 carries, 118 yards. Chuba Hubbard, 9 carries, 63 yards, and a score. Both had two catches here. Um, again, wholly unexpected from me. Both made plays, including Deontay Foreman breaking a few big runs here. A positive for the Panthers, glimmers of hope, is this offensive line gelling. You know, yes, they invested so much into it with, you know, Brady Christensen over the years going out and getting Austin Corbett, who I think has played really well. Taylor Moten's always been a really solid right tackle. But Ikki Kwanu's evolving and progressing into a really, really solid player, not just as a run blocker, but in pass pro too. Um, I, again, I do not want to fall victim to believing in Chuba Hubbard every single week. But I do want to call attention to how promising that this performance was. Where do you stand for rest of season? Because all these names are on people's benches. I, I didn't see that much out of either running back. They had huge games, but I was yeah. going to point out a lot of the stuff was really easy because the offensive line played really well. And that's really unexpected coming into the year. You can make an argument that the Panthers were bottom three offensive line. Uh, I would probably rank them a little bit higher than that at this point. Uh, I did want to note real quick. Sorry to go away from the tape to go to back to nerd shit, but Chuba Hubbard was getting the ball early in the game and then he suffers an ankle injury. It's not a serious ankle injury. We'll learn more about it once we get the injury report, but then Deonta Foreman got a lot of the runs. So if you're looking at the snap counts and all that stuff, uh, really it's about even, I did want to note the first two plays of the game, the first play Chuba Hubbard starts. It's actually a big shot downfield. Uh, then the next play is a run 
um, to Deonta Foreman. So I think what they trust Chuba Hubbard in some of the passing situations, Deonta Foreman more and the rushing situations. This is probably going to be the best game of the, of the Panthers. I agree. You know, so like I don't want to get too carried away here. I mean, aren't I they going to be great? They're going to be underdogs in every single game. Like the the environment, the game strip going into them will not be susceptible to like really positive running back games, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But this is always the picture that we can try to paint for them uh, for every single one. I just, I'm not a believer. Call me a pessimist, but I think it's fair to be a pessimist around this organization right now. Fantasy usage model, Chuba Hubbard, 7.3 expected half PPR points. Deonta Foreman, 8.6. That's in a win. Chicago Bears. They have changed their offense. They're letting Justin Fields run. Justin Fields had 11 designed runs on Monday Night Football. That is double of his previous career high with the same team of five. So it has taken us seven weeks to get here, but it feels like Luke Getze and company have taken the bits and pieces where Justin Fields is and could excel and implementing them as much as possible and spamming them into this offense. It's all gadget stuff, but that's totally fine with me. We talked about out previously where they're getting more screens, 18% versus 6% of their passes were screens. And then I said that the design QB stuff is next. We're getting that. And that's where the playing to his strengths, then let him throw a couple deep balls downfield. Um, I think he looks better, looks more comfortable. Shocking that, you know, the offense that we've been asking for is the one that is working. Justin Fields is quietly screaming up quarterback rankings for fantasy land uh, because of all this quarterback design stuff. This could also happen inside of the 10 yard line a bit more often inside the five yard line a bit more often, which would take some things away from Dave Montgomery and Khalil Herbert when they get into that area. I'm going to stop short of saying that Justin Fields looked good. He just looked better. You know, like there were still plays that you want him to abort and decisions you don't want him to make, but just seeing cool drives from a Justin Fields led Chicago bears team. I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally with you. Uh, the running back situation, we have a little bit of uh, controversy here. David Montgomery was the clear back early in the game. Cleo Herbert catches that screen pass where I love Cleo Herbert. He's been fantastic this year. He yeah. didn't have to do a whole lot to score that touchdown, but the coaching staff went with the hot hand after halftime it is clearly herbert who gets the first crack at it that's usually david montgomery and then they rotate drives basically back and forth back and forth david montgomery scores a touchdown at the goal line then tristan ebner closes out the game i'm guessing now that we've seen clearly herbert get more and more involved i think it's gonna be instead of a two for one i can see this going one drive montgomery one drive a Khalil Herbert, kind of how it was with Ramondre and Damian Harris. I will still be ranking David Montgomery above Khalil Herbert, but that gap has dwindled. And over the last month of the season, David Montgomery is the RB 22 in fantasy usage. Yeah, Just in terms of carries inside the 10 yard line, um, Khalil Herbert is God I just had him in my head. Oh, he's at eight carries inside the 10. Then he had Justin Fields is at seven and Dave Montgomery is at six. In fact, you know, from the quarterback standpoint, Jalen Hurts has 11, uh, then Josh Allen has eight, and then right up after them, tied with the likes of like Daniel Jones and Trevor Lawrence, uh, is Justin Fields right there at seven. For as few points as the Bears have scored mm-hmm. this season, Justin Fields is becoming more and more of a piece of their rushing in the high-value touch area, and that's super important for him, not just with the raw rushing totals, yeah. but obviously six points. 
Yeah, and like you mentioned, I think there will be more quarterback design stuff in the red zone, but I like the Bears' chances of you know getting to the red zone now that they're building this offense. It's more watchable. Does this do anything for Darno Mooney for you? Because like for how these things are scripted and designed, because that's really where the good stuff is happening, I don't know if we can say like, hey, it's being funneled to Darno Mooney's area, you know? Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm not in on him is what I'm saying. Yeah, over the last month, wide receiver 41 and wide receiver 30 usage. So that it, it, it has increased, um, but it's more of the scrambling stuff. So I, I think it is better. Just the offense being better is good for Darnell Mooney. If not because like this passing game is like completely evolved. Before we move on, if you have tuned into this show every single week, we appreciate you. Hit subscribe because about 75% of you who watch stats versus film are not subscribed to this channel. You must like it. You make it 28 minutes in thumbs up, subscribe, and be sure to tune in to the rest of the content that we have on the channel as well. Cincinnati Bengals, lots to talk about here and namely the unsung talented wide receiver on the team. That's Tyler Boyd, nine targets, eight receptions, 155 yards and one touchdown. Um, his average depth of target is at a career high of 10.1 yards this season. And he's been highly efficient on those targets, catching 76% of them. It's pretty easy to say that this evolution that we've seen over the Bengals over the last two weeks of purely a shotgun offense is making massive positive signs for Tyler Boyd now and moving on. Right now, the Bengals are the last month of the season are first in neutral pass rate. They led the the league in it the last two weeks of the season. They're up at like 78% last week. And all of this stuff is great news for Joe Burrow, who I'll firmly be ranking inside the top five fantasy quarterbacks the rest of the way. But great news for Tyler Boyd. You'll see a lot of this stuff is pre-snap based off yes. of what the coverage is and just check it down to Tyler Boyd underneath this is that's a free point and a half right there and a full ppr league for tyler boyd he's not dropping any passes there's a couple of these plays against a blitz what do you do you throw into the blitz tyler boyd smart enough to realize that sit in the zone and catch a little pass right there so this happened a bunch here's another one it looks like the same exact play yep. it's actually a different one um the Falcons were struggling about what coverage they were going to be running here. They tried to play a lot of single high coverage, and that was not working out at all. That's a beautiful pass. This is a play action where the linebackers suck in, one-handed catch there. The next play, the same thing. Watch this middle linebacker, sucks in with this mesh point, throws the ball over the top of them for a big score. So they had every answer, the, the Bengals offense, because they're passing the ball out of shotgun. So many things that you just hit on is exactly what I was going to say. In the first episode of Scheme with Josh McCown, we talked about how this under-center deep play action stuff for, for Joe Burrow just didn't seem to work. And I made a very layman but like simple statement that, hey, it must be really hard for a quarterback to then read the defense that he's turned his head to. Yeah. Uh, now, even on these play action passes or not, and he's just catching it and throwing it, like a pre-snap read and a post-snap read, if they both get there, you know where to throw the football. And as yep. you're saying, with how they're spreading them out and if attention's going to Jamar Chase or the running back or T. Higgins on the opposite side, these are two-point uncontested passes. And yep. it's, if, if the same read is pre-snap and it hits you post-snap, then boom, lob it up. And then what Tyler Boyd is giving us here are insane catches like that one-hander. And then when a safety on a 9-8-9 route combination here just hits the doorstop and falls back down, you get big plays as well. Yeah. So 
all that you need for these layups to hit each week for Tyler Boyd, and then maybe one or two big plays or uh, inside the 20-yard target. And that makes Tyler Boyd a top 36 option the rest of the way. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's going to be some huge boom weeks throughout. Um, I don't see why the Bengals would stop using this. And like you said, Joe Burrow's so smart when he's reading the field. Don't have his back turned to the defense. Have him. You can still do the play action stuff from um, exactly. from the gun. And I think Joe Mixon is going to catch a couple of passes on like a career high like pace of like 62 catches or something crazy like that. And I think they're going to be in the red zone more often than they were earlier in the season. I think that Joe Mixon is going to be totally fine as an RB one by yourself. T Higgins to me, it's, it's by everybody. You know, this offense yes. to me is here to say it has been working. It's exactly what worked in college. It's what worked in their Super Bowl run. This is the new offense. Like to me, they're, they're going to be leading the, the league in like pass attempts, completions, all that stuff for the rest of the way. I think I'm sure people are sick of me saying it, but it took weeks for the Bengals to figure out who they were last season. This is a different style than what was successful last year. It's not who they wanted to be heading into this year. But now they have figured out that, hey, this offensive line is better at protecting when we go purely out of shotgun. Joe Burrow is more comfortable with this passing offense, and the running game is more successful too, Mm -hmm. out of shotgun. It would be dumb for them to switch that, and that means they're not going to. So we've already seen really positive games for T. Higgins when this wasn't clicking for 71 yards in a score, 93 yards, 124 yards and a score. I know these last two games have been kind of down with 47 when he was coming back from injury and not 100%. And then now he was, and basically all three of these pass catchers went over 90 yards. So we've also seen teams start shading even more to Jamar Chase's side. Maybe that is something that happens uh, as we go along, but either way, if they're playing middle of the field, if they're playing cover two, whatever they're doing, this offense has answers for everyone. And T. Higgins, as you said, I want pieces of all of this. And that's including Hayden Hurst, who's yes. also kind of the backup layup option over the middle of the field. I think he's going to be near the league lead in routes run for the rest of the season. He's not going to be earning that many targets because there's so many other guys to get the ball to. But he's the tight end 14 in usage over the last month of the season. I think that you can get away with him as a fringe tight end one during the bye weeks. Burrow is so smart. It's like a downfield quick game almost that no one else is repeating this, but it helps when you have all of these really talented people and uh, pieces surrounding him. It's a really fun offense to watch right now. Okay, Cleveland Browns, one of our best picks this summer was David Njoku. We nailed him as the late round tight end to target. Now, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, an ankle injury is expected to keep Njoku for two to five weeks along the sideline with his high ankle sprain. As of right now, he's a tight end seven in fantasy points per game. It's on one hand, a singular passing game with Amari Cooper. Now two, the offense is it close to being what it was in the earlier portions of this season, just as a team success wise three, is there a talent that can fill in for David and Joku? Like we see at other positions like running back and wide receiver. No, because David Njoku is so uh, interesting as a player because he's been winning downfield, like kind of like not like from the same ways that Kyle Pitkins down there, but like you can push the field with him. Harrison Bryant, I think, is a fine player, but it's going to be basically impossible to to replace David Njoku, who was on pace for 94 receptions, 1,164 yards over the last six games of the season. This is devastating because we were searching for tight end ones and fantasy, and he was locked in. I had him like inside the top five for the last couple weeks here. So 
Um, maybe they try to get Kareem Hunt going, but I think Kareem Hunt's like a, a trade candidate. They're not using him at all, even in these negative game scripts. Uh, you can't play Kareem Hunt right now. I do think he's a buy low just in case he gets traded. But Donovan Peoples-Jones is getting more usage. He's like wide receiver 35, but like that's not always going to be very consistent just the way that he wins. So I think like it's going to be a lot more pressure on Amari Cooper, who over the last course of the uh, month of the season, wide receiver 16 in usage. This is not the formula, you know, like this is a lot more pressure on Jacoby Brissett because this defense isn't isn't as good. Nick Chubb is doing his thing, but like Wyatt Teller has been missing time. Some other linemen have been missing time. So Jacoby Brissett's got to step up. And we saw it early in the season. The last couple of weeks have been a little bit harder on him. But I think you're going to see some like negative game script in Mark Cooper days. And it's all entirely more difficult when your defense is playing this awful. You know, they are not giving you the ball in shorter fields. They're, you know staying on the field for way too long. Like they can't get the opposition off. You you can't give up so many points each week and expect this offense, especially now with out David Joker, who's playing so many snaps and progressing as a player to exactly what we wanted to see. He'll be back and hopefully he's, you know, close to full health like he was to start this year. But it's a, it's a rough situation that the Browns are in right now, despite again, Jacoby playing above expectation. Okay. Dallas Cowboys. Let's talk about them. Any difference that you saw with Dak Prescott at the helm? What concerned me was it three points in the first half because of like an ill-time Noah Brown fumble. And then it was just 10 to six heading into the fourth quarter. There's late two touchdowns that they got. It kind of feels like, yes, they got away with one and they dominated the Lions, but things still need to be fixed. It was a good game to do that. Yeah, I, I didn't see anything like thumb related with Dak Prescott. I think they were running the same offense. Uh, I'll, I have a couple of clips with the ground game looked excellent, but Michael Gallup, he's been struggling so far coming back from his uh, injury. He had a drop. He's still not a full-time player. Um, I think that they'll get him more involved. But right now, like Noah Brown's been the guy closer to the ball, condensed sets, been playing in some two wide receiver sets over Michael Gallup. And he's been very inconsistent. Some really fantastic plays, some down plays from him. CD Lamb had an okay game at best. I don't think there's like any reason to panic. This this offense is going to play with pace. They're probably going to be pretty balanced. This isn't going to be like a couple of years ago where they're like first in pace and first in neutral pass rate. I think they'll probably be closer to the middle of the pack. Um, it's just been a balanced offense. So we'll see if anything changes. I didn't have any really big takes either way from the passing game, really. My only thing is if this offense does learn to click with all these great pieces that are finally working in unison, this defense puts them in such advantageous spots. Like they had that interception near the 50 yard line. They had that what sack fumble with Sam Williams that put them inside of like the 20 yard line. Like they are going to be touchdown scoring opportunities because the defense is playing at such a high level. And then my only other point is kind of CDs lambs usage since Michael Gallup returned. Um, in week six, for the first time this season, other than week one, he played in the slot 36 snaps to 26 snaps out, out wide. And this past weekend, it was 31 snaps to 21 snaps out wide. So a little bit more of that slot usage work, kind of how we expected, does make sense. Uh, real quick with the run game, just the Cowboys have a lot in their playbook. And like this is just two totally different types of run. This is a duo power look with Zeke Elliott hurdles the defender. But you can see like how much open space they have because these two blocks uh, up the middle and Zeke Elliott finishes it off. And then like, here's like a classic look where it helps to have a rushing quarterback zone read light box six versus six, basically. 
And this is wide open for Tony Pollard for explosive play. So um, Tony Pollard's been been crushing uh, when it comes to the per touch stuff. I don't think anything's really going to change because Zeke is holding up his end of the bargain. Denver Broncos, not too much to say on my end. Weird running back cycle heading into it where Latavius played over Melvin Gordon. Then Melvin Gordon drew the start here. Mike Boone is now on injured reserve. So we go back to a condensed two backfield set. But this offense, not just with Brett Rippon, but with anyone else, is just not hitting to the degree that it would make us care about anyone outside of Cortland Sutton, even after Jerry Judy had a better game this past week. Yeah, this was just kind of a throwaway game. They're expecting Russell Wilson to return. Um, Melvin Gordon started 8.6, expected half PPR points. Latavius Murray gets uh, gets in there, 10.1, expected half PPR points. But he was in at the goal line just during his drive. That's just like kind of how that shook out. I don't think either one's separating from each other. I don't think either one's capable of separating from each other. So really, I think they're going to keep giving Melvin Gordon like the the starts just because he's been on this team for longer and they're just going to rotate drives damian ramondre damian ramondre type of usage um they're like i think they gave a phone call like marlon mack to replace mike boom but this is just the, the offense has to be watchable for for any of this to matter denver is still last in the nfl and touchdown rate inside of the red zone at 23.5 percent mm-hmm. compare that to the kansas city chiefs you know afc west at 76.6 percent uh, can't do it. Can win. Can't win with it. Uh, the Broncos do play the Jaguars, the Titans, the Raiders, and the Panthers in their next four games, which right. should be winnable. But when you also consider they put up nine points, sixteen points, and nine points in their last mm-hmm. three games, sure, Brett Rippon in one of those, and a hurt Russell Wilson in the others. Uh iffy. One positive note: Greg Dolchich. 72 percent a week seven routes uh has played pretty well 10.5 expected half ppr points last week in the first game that long touchdown on 5.6 he's a tight end 12 in usage um over the last month i think he's probably more of a upside tight end too but there's a chance he at least he has a path to being a low-end tight end one at least with all the bye weeks and injuries and stuff that we're dealing with they do heavily use these tight ends at sometimes putting three out there in the same it's almost like it's built around that it's but too much <laughs> it's enough too enough much. already there there was a couple plays like a couple weeks ago it was just like tight end running the seam route and not a single one of them were supposed to be running the damn seam route it's not who they are it's crazy detroit lions disappointment uh into the bye week zero points out of the bye week six points uh, they had no explosion. One DJ Chark missing. Two Amon Ross St. Brown leaves very early due to concussion-like symptoms. It sounds like he's in the protocol but doesn't have a concussion, so that actually yeah. sounded positive. Um, Jamal Williams also lost a goal line fumble, which I believe is the first of his career. Um, I'm not sure what to say about the Lions here because they almost are who they are, and it doesn't feel like they can get back to the quote-unquote highest-scoring offense in the league until these explosives start coming back. And they probably won't come back. Uh, this is like classic Jared Goff where with the right pieces around him, he can distribute the ball when he's not under pressure, but he's been under pressure more. The weapons haven't been there. Like Josh Reynolds was playing through an injury. He had like season low usage. Um, it's just a total mess right now. So uh, it sounds like Monroe St. Brown will be back this week. I do want to note that just in general, I think we're going to see players leaving games earlier because yes. of this. He did not suffer concussion, but you can see, and I watched it, he did come up and kind of looked a little bit loose. 
and that's why the referee stopped the game. So you're going to see this happen, maybe like a half percentage chance that something like this happens early in game. So if you're doing props or just DFS, also have something to keep in mind. It's good. It's good for the league. We're pro player safety. You can take your one catch game from on every once in a while. And if you eliminate the games where he like basically didn't play, uh, he still is the wide receiver 13 overall in fantasy points per game. Yeah. And we just haven't seen it in a long time. So let's not forget because that is going to be the easiest thing to manufacture mm-hmm. once he does play a full game is yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown receptions and points. He's a buy low if you're you got a league mate that has no brain cells. I agree. Green Bay Packers. I mean, this is a rough stretch of teams we have to talk about here. Um, our buddy Lord Reeves, who I think is doing the show for me on Friday. Yes. Uh, Romeo Dobbs is averaging a depth of target of just 3.5 yards down the field on his receptions and 16.1 a dot on his incompletions. I think that basically encapsulates who Aaron Rodgers and this passing game is right now from Nate Tyson, the under, uh, excuse me on the athletic football show, 33% of Aaron Rodgers passes are at or behind the line of scrimmage. That's the highest rate since Alex Smith's year with the Washington football team. Yeah. Um, so this same layup, let's say at the line of scrimmage to vertical shot stuff does not work when you can't just throw the vertical shot to Devonte Adams or Marquez Vado Scantling. He's just searching for answers. And it feels like that when you watch the game, everything is underneath. He was on Pat McAfee complaining, not taking any accountability, which I find pretty hilarious, uh, pretty on brand for him. But um, yeah, Aaron Jones played more season high, 17 point uh, expected half PPR points. I did want to play this game called who he mad at. Okay. And Matt, the play first, along with us. The first, this is the first uh, candidate. It is Alan Lazard on a break, uh, a slant route that he drops. We have Aaron Rodgers. I think kind of upset, but not nothing too crazy here. The next candidate, Sammy Watkins. If you can pause this real quick, we had Alan Lazard in the slot telling Sammy Watkins to line up. The problem is that we already have a player in motion. Yep. Now we have a penalty here. You can roll the rest of this. It ends up being a holding on this, so we have two penalties by the Packers <laughs> here. So that's num- uh, number two, perhaps, for uh, Sammy Watkins. Here, this is a, a Patrick Mahomes-type play to Sammy Watkins coming across. Dropped pass. Now we're starting to get a little frustration from uh, Aaron Rodgers here. Um, and I think one of my favorite ones, this is the the tilt ball on the go route. Aaron Rodgers throws this as far as he can. Sammy Watkins is nowhere even near this. So that kind of rounds out the Sammy Watkins stuff. I think the true candidate on who he mad at is coming up here with Romeo Dobbs. This is a play that broken plays that Aaron Rodgers has been so successful out. Romeo is like running the wrong way. You're supposed to come back there. That's already getting uh, uh, Romeo Dobbs uh, in, in the doghouse. I mean, you're supposed to come back to the quarterback, not run the other way here. Uh, then it's, here comes the drops, and there's about three of them. Uh, I think this is the first one on a screen pass, and we can start seeing the frustration coming from Aaron Rodgers. Start looking at the sideline, putting the hands on the hips. We're starting to really get this thing cracked up here. Um, slot at the top. They're slaying on the top of the thing. We have Rodgers mad again, and I, I think there was... Oh, oh, miscommunication. Yeah, this is rough. This um, is tough. Okay. I, I think there's a lot to touch on here. Uh because what's so interesting about this dynamic is how much has it like truly changed since his MVP season and well, let's say back-to-back MVP seasons. And what truly has changed is that 
Devontae Adams is no longer there. So it's not just like that trusted player when either panic sets or he evades pressure. He's also running less this season. Um, just four plays with motion on Sunday, which we know that Aaron Rodgers has said, hey, get this out of here. I don't want it. Yeah. And then only five plays with play action. So you can't really do anything. And then you're relying on these individual talents to shine and Houdini throws from Aaron Rodgers. And so when he's not playing well, it's just not going to work. So like so much is riding on him to play well. And then when he's not staying accountable for it, it just seems all broken because I really don't think outside of a couple of drops, Alan Lazard is playing poorly this season. He's just Alan Lazard. Yeah. He's not Devontae Adams. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think Alan Lazard's totally fine. He's playing through a shoulder injury. We'll see what his status is. I think there's a chance that Romeo Dobbs gets benched. So if you can he trade trade this, him away and all stuff, like I don't know. They're gonna they're gonna try your comment of like, well, the people are playing too much and there are yeah. some people who maybe should be getting more practice time and playing more. Who are you even talking about? Who's coming in to save the day? I don't know. Like they they had like this uh really lengthy guy come at the last second. Amari Rogers there. We'll see if Christian Watkins comes back. I don't know. I don't have any faith that uh Aaron Rodgers gonna be throwing the ball to Romeo Dobbs anymore. All right. Houston Texans. So just doing my weekly digging here. Brandon Cooks leads the NFL in percent of his team's targets inside the 10-yard line. Uh, granted, it's just three, but that's at 60%, and he has zero catches on those. Uh, it is interesting, though. I actually thought Davis Mills played maybe his best game of the season this past weekend. Uh, the only interesting thing about the Texans right now is Damian Pierce because he's playing yeah. at a high, high, high level. Yeah, I've, I haven't watched this game. Uh, the Texans very low on my totem pole of who to watch. Um, Damian Pierce... That's four straight games with at least 12.7 expected half PPR points over the last month. Wider or running back seven on running back 10 usage. He's a baller. Indianapolis Colts, huge conversation to have here because with the Indianapolis Colts, we have to figure out what the move from Sam Ellinger from Matt Ryan means for other pieces. But let's just start at maybe why this decision was made. One, I think it's from the owner. I think that's pretty clear that Jim Mersey, this was a directive from him because he's just sick of watching what we've seen of Matt Ryan this season. Because like the Matt Ryan route was pretty painful so far. Like it's a quarterback with absolutely zero mobility whose arm is decaying right now, who on outside the number throws and down the field was just not hitting them. So it had to be like a catch throw style offense that is all sucked in and way too close to the line of scrimmage. So while with Sam Ellinger, at least from my eyes, Hayden is a player who is not going to be as on script and on time. He does give you mobility to avoid sacks and that mobility also opens different elements of the playbook, but probably mm -hmm. eliminates others that have gotten us Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell, a lot of fantasy points over these last two weeks. So for the Colts organizationally, I think this was a smart move. Get Sam Ellinger in there. They seem to like him. Let's see if he has anything. Like you said, he at least has some of the skill set that where the NFL trends are going with a mobile quarterback. Now, the rest of it, uh, I'm not very convinced that he has like the arm strength and the size and all that stuff. Uh, but he did play at Texas and had some big numbers there. So maybe there is something to this. Now, for fantasy purposes, I have some concern because Sam Ellinger is a dual-threat quarterback. So unless you're uh, in quarterback two streaming hell, I think it's going to be a downgrade. Even though Matt Ryan hasn't been good, and I completely agree, he's not been good for the Colts, they are first 
in completions in sixth in passing yards because right. the defense hasn't been as good. And because Matt Ryan is dinking and dunking all across the field the last couple of weeks, they've been playing with more pace and more passes. And that's where we're getting all these Paris Campbell stuff. We're getting Michael Pittman back on the radar. Uh, we've seen big games out of Deion Jackson. I'm not sure if we're going to get as much of that with Sam Ellinger just because he's going to take off and scramble. They're probably going to run more. They're probably going to uh, scale back that pace. So I think it's bad for fantasy, smart for the Colts, and it's at least more exciting for us to evaluate because we've never seen Sam Ellinger play in the NFL. Yeah, so there's a few plays that are on the screen right now that I think encapsulate what this offense is going to be moving forward, more of the zone reads or reaction. Um that can be a positive for Jonathan Taylor. It's going to be different from the under center. Hey, deep set. Let me hand it off you. Uh, very traditional looks. But we've seen this work with, you know, Miles Sanders with Jalen Hurts. Certainly not calling Sam Ellinger Jalen Hurts here. But Frank Reich, history of the Eagles, like with Doug Peterson, maybe they can take, you know, some elements that we have seen from the past into this as well. But just avoiding and extending plays and turning sacks to not sacks and maybe even to positive plays mm -hmm. could be a big thing. But I'm with you. Like, it hasn't been pretty. It's been very simple. But the Michael Pittman stuff will have to get through a different avenue. I still trust him to win in isolation. Hopefully what this does, if anything, is eliminate the random Paris Campbell weeks or the Alec Pierce weeks, so on and so forth. And turns it into, hey, Michael Pittman is the one that we trust. But I'm also curious to see if like a little bit of that Alec Pierce verticality outside of that one throw against the Jaguars to win it might get maximized a little bit more. But I'm not saying that Ellinger has a powerful arm. He kind of reminds me of like Taylor Heineke. Heineke. Yep. Yeah, I knew. So Kenny Pickett as well is what you're saying. No, Kenny Pickett's way better than these guys. Are you sure? Yes. Very confident in that. So... Do we think that this once again makes Jonathan Taylor the focal point of everything? Because mm -hmm. I know he was out against the Jaguars and that's when they've really leaned into this pass first stuff uh, and pass only. And then this past weekend, it felt like they kept that same pace up over and over and over again. Um, I'm, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Very curious. The, the problem with JT is the efficiency that we had last year is not yeah. going to rebound. Like it just, the offensive lines regress. They're not going to be scoring as many points. So it's, it's a tough spot for him. I don't think it can get that much worse. I mean, like right now they are like 12th or 13th in the AFC in scoring. So yeah, I'm kind of indifferent for, for JT and probably downgrading all of the pass catchers. Jacksonville Jaguars. This team made a move as well. They traded away James Robinson, which means it's Travis Etienne's time, a player who still hasn't received more than 16 touches in a game this season. Um, What's interesting is James Robinson opened this season with three games of around 50%, 57% of the snaps. Then it got down to 43% in the next three games. And then this past weekend, it was just to 17%. Um, ETN, as we have outlined a lot this year, has really excelled on outside the tackle box runs, getting him in space, threats on the edge. He's super explosive to the degree where I've been calling him the only explosive element on this Jaguars unit. Yeah, he's been electric. It is all the good stuff and all the bad stuff that we've talked about this. Uh, posted a clip on Twitter just looking at his vision and stuff, and it's still he misses some holes. But, man, he has the elusiveness and the speed to make up for it when he does hit the right holes here. He still fights the ball 
you know, when he's uh, catching passes, uh, he had another drop in this game. I do want to give him some credit in one particular area, though. His pass protection has been better the last couple weeks. He was really was really now. bad to start the season. To start the last couple weeks has been better. Has been diagnosing some blitzes, and he obviously has way more juice. We'll talk about James Robinson, I guess, when we get to yep. the New York Jets. But Travis Etienne, I don't think they can give him 20, 25 touches per game. I think he they will keep him in the role that he kind of had last week. We'll see if like it's what like Snoop Connor and they had what Jermichael Hasty out there at times. I think it'll be a little bit more of them. But quite frankly, like James Robinson wasn't really giving him giving this team anything the last couple of weeks, probably due to injuries. So Travis Etienne, he he's shown the the athleticism translate. There's no debating that. Can he get enough reps to round out the rest of the game? I think it's probably a good good decision for the Jaguars because they need to have him learn. Like, you know, like this is kind of a, a season where Trevor Lawrence has been very inconsistent. So at least get Travis Etienne the experience. So hopefully he figures out some of the ball security, the the catching the ball on the flats and hitting the right holes. You can only learn that when you're on the field. It's a big sign of trust. It's a big sign of trust. But again, his touches so far this year have been capped by 16 to 16. Uh, the other part of this too is it is a pass first unit, you know, uh, it's a lot of shallow stuff. Um, but they've done such a good job, I think, of scripting really cool and impactful plays for Travis Etienne. Just quickly, uh, that means there's a new second running back here. Uh, I believe Snoop Connor has been inactive for all seven weeks so far to start the season. Jamichael Hasty, in fact, has one breakaway run, does come in every once in a while. Um, in order to trade away someone like James Robinson, who is at least consistent in pass pro, albeit has declined in basically all other phases so far this year, uh, I think that also means they have trust in whoever the second back is. And for me, for my seat, that's Jamichael Hasty, but it could be Snoop Connor. I think that Snoop Connor does a better James Robinson impression than Jermichael Hasty does. Jermichael Hasty is 5'8, 205. You know, like James Robinson's got a little girth to him. Snoop Connor's 5'10, 215. I'm sure Jermichael Hasty's been a special teams player, so that's probably why he's been getting the nod over Snoop Connor. We'll see. I thought Snoop Connor looked okay for a fifth round pick uh, in the preseason. If you're in a deep sicko league, I think I would rather pick up Snoop Connor than Jermichael Hasty. Um, so far this year, it's been nine carries for James Robinson inside the five-yard line and just five for Travis Etienne, sorry, inside the 10-yard line. Uh, and I think like four or three of those happened in just this past weekend. So we mm -hmm. could see far more rushing score opportunities for Travis Etienne as we move forward, which is a production area we haven't really gotten many opportunities of so far in the first seven weeks of the season. Okay, Jaguars down. Let's go to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, a Chiefs team that is going into their bye. Uh, what they did is spread it around a lot. We saw Juju Smith-Schuster have a big game. We saw MVS have a big game. And then, I'm not going to say most importantly, but let's say most creatively, we saw Miko Hardman have a bunch of scripted stuff that was pretty damn cool. Yeah, it's all behind the line of scrimmage stuff. We have jet sweeps. We have screens. We have all the stuff that... Like what McCole Hardman has a skill. Like he's very explosive and you get the ball in his hands. He can do 
good things. Now, when you give them the rest of the stuff, it doesn't look as great. But I think this offense is really starting to come together. You know, yep. like you have Travis Kelsey with all the option routes, the yards after the catch. Juju Smith-Schuster has been playing a little bit better. MBS has had a couple plays downfield now. He's not only a deep threat in this offense. The ro- running back rotations the, has the most uncertainty. It's been all over the place. And then McCole Hardman's the gadget guy. So lots of uncertainty early on the season. But I think that the Chiefs are starting to really figure this out. And that is terrifying because they're already first in EPA per play in a new offense with a bunch of new pieces. And they played some of the best defenses in the league already. And they're already destroying everybody. This throw from Patrick Mahomes is like truly threading the needle. Look at this. It's this gap between a linebacker and an edge rusher. Then you also have to thread it between two defensive backs, maybe even three as well. Throws it to the inside shade of Michael Hardman as he's rolling to his left. Insane stuff. Uh, the other point I wanted to make was that this jet sweep manufacturer touch stuff near the line of scrimmage was Surely a specific game plan for the 49ers who love for their pass rushers to fly up the field. And so if you know that they are flying up the field, that means you don't have to block them in every single scenario and you can just bypass them and get to the second or the third level. And that's where it worked a lot, not just near the goal line, but also for that 20 plus yard rush that he had for a score. So it was very game plan specific, but if we ever have a note for the chiefs against similar teams in the future, we could see similar action from them too. To quickly hit on the running back slide Edwards Lair didn't start only 4.3 expected half PPR points. That's a season low played 27% snaps. Isaiah Pacheco, the starter, only gets 30% of the snaps. I think that these labels calling one a starter versus the other one not doesn't really matter. They're basically chopping this up three ways. Uh, I think you can make an argument that even though the Chiefs are going to have top five implied team totals, that none of them are top 25 running backs. It took us a long time to get here, but if we just look at raw fantasy points in total so far this year, Juju Smith-Schuster and half-point PPR scoring is the wide receiver 19. We did it, <laughs> which maybe speaks to the scoring overall in fantasy football this year when he did absolutely nothing until the last the last two weeks. Um, but that is pretty insane to think about. Pretty insane. OK, they're on a bye week. Let's then go to the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. I feel like Derek Carr is having to do a lot in the pocket, a lot, tons of pressure, even against what the Houston Texans this past weekend. Uh, my one note for them is we talk about high value touches. Josh Jacobs is the only player in the league to have 100% of his team's carries inside the 10 yard line. He's turned 13, those 13 carries into five touchdowns this season. Five straight games with at least 14 expected half PPR points. He is the RB one on RB four usage over the last month of the season. He looks incredible. I think he's a top five fantasy running back. You know, it's, it's, it's really, is that simple. Who knew that the key to winning in fantasy football this season was to not draft Cal Pitts and then to draft Josh Jacobs? That's where you should go sometimes. <laughs> uh, Los Angeles Chargers, they're also going into their bye week, so let's quickly talk about them. Uh, it sounds like Mike Williams is out for multiple weeks. What happens for you? I cry. Uh, I seek counseling. This is this is not good. High ankle sprain, probably going to be out for on a, usually like around a month or so. Uh, Austin Eckler is on pace for reception records. He's been totally smashing. I'm guessing that Keenan Allen will be back to full health coming out of the bye. Um, but he tried to go out and then he told the coaching staff that his leg didn't feel right. Uh, Gerald Everett has clear on off splits without Donald Parham, who's in the concussion protocol. So uh, we'll see him with Mike Williams out. This will be another crack at Josh Palmer. 
to get in there, but he hasn't really moved the needle all that much this season. Justin Herbert hasn't been playing as well as he did the previous season. Still a very good quarterback, but everything's kind of just caving in on the Chargers right now. My main question is, when we've seen Keenan Allen out, it's been very easy to fit DeAndre Carter in there because he's in the natural slot, right? With Williams and Palmer on the outside. Um, If Keenan Allen's back and Mike Williams is out, can you fit DeAndre Carter in there? Like, then does Keen Allen play on the outside? Because that's not his spot, you know? So that, that's just a question. Yeah. We're not going to get it this week because they're in a bye. But once they get back, um, how is that going to unfold? And does it really matter? <laughs> if if the Chargers want to take the season serious, go trade for Brandon Cooks or, or somebody like yes. that. Yes. I think that's a great point to make. Los Angeles Rams, they're coming out of a bye. Uh, it hasn't been good this season other than Cooper Cup. Everything else has stunk. Um, but two names are coming back for them pretty soon. And Van Jefferson, who caught 50 passes and was the vertical element to their offense last year. And then Kyron Williams is also returning pretty soon. A player that this team absolutely loved and probably would have had a pretty significant role in week one until they got injured on the opening kickoff. I'm guessing it's going to be Daryl Henderson on early downs and Kyron Williams on passing downs is my read on this. Cam Akers probably gets traded and who knows, he might get released. Who knows what they're going to do with Cam Akers. Uh I think the Van Jefferson stuff is very interesting because their wide receiver has been Cooper Cup. Allen Robinson has like a traditional X and then Ben Skronik playing fullback slash wide receiver. I think Van Jefferson brings them juice downfield. And I think that he's going to be playing at the expense of Ben Skronik and Alan Lazard or uh, Allen Robinson. I think Robinson snap counts tick down uh, once Van Jefferson comes back. And it sounds like that's going to happen as soon as um this week the good news is nobody listening to the show has Allen robinson because they've already you know quit their leagues do you want to say the theory of the play of Allen robinson this season were targets inside the 20 yard line he is 10th in those in fact he has two more than cooper cup none of it's working except mm-hmm. for the spot that i focus way too much time on i think it would would have worked a bit more if they had this offensive line but again they yes. just lost joe Noteboom prior to Prior to the bye week. It's uh, over. It, it's over. You're waving the white flag for it's it. It's over. Miami Dolphins. So Tua returned. I actually thought he looked quite inaccurate. Not saying like it turned into incomplete passes, which it did, but also eliminated mm-hmm. some yards after catch possibilities for this team. What really stood out to me was when I focused in on the middle of the field intermediate throws for Tua, he's been balling this season. 25 of 36 for 459 yards three touchdowns, and one interception. So he has 36 targets there. He only has eight to the left or the right side in that intermediate area. Like what Mike McDaniel is doing to funnel everything to that specific section, it's been perfect. And it's so good that we continue to see that with this team. He's really looking like Jimmy G, you know? Like you're getting a lot of these like turnover-worthy throws, though. Like there was a lot of ducks out there, let's be honest. Um yeah, I, I don't know. This offense always does pretty well. Uh, they all rely on explosive plays. This is the tiniest offense in the damn league, so they have been struggling in the red zone. My, I haven't watched this game on the All-22. Uh, my biggest takeaway from this is just what they've been doing with Raheem Mostert. RB16, uh, over the last month, he's been like 70% snaps, legit RB2 usage, looks the part. Uh, hopefully that Tron Armstead can get healthy again. Um yeah, it's been all the over-the-middle stuff, and that's basically a copy-paste of the Jimmy G stuff. I mean, look at that 
funnel. 29.3% of his pass attempts have been to that intermediate area for a 63.6% completion rate. That's nutty. I mean, I think in his best season, Jimmy was like 57%, you know? So this might regress a little bit, but where we knew that if this 49ers team, and I questioned if it was happening because I, I didn't know if Tua was going to be comfortable throwing to that area. He clearly is. And it's crushing. It's crushing for them right now. Mike Kosicki's getting a bit more involved. Like, I don't know how much yeah. we can read into this, but it's weird that he's getting more involved. But maybe it's because they don't want to go to the Trent Shurfields and then the charity case that they've given uh, Cedric Wilson so much money this year to not even play. Yeah, that's been super strange. 68% routes last week for Mike Kosicki. He's had at least 12 fan, expected half PPR points in the last two games. Um, I guess he's back in the tight end two streamer, but I don't know if it's like trade stuff. I, I can't figure this stuff out either. Minnesota Vikings, they're the other team coming out of a bye. Um, my only point is, as we got right before the bye week, we need more Dalvin Cook work inside the 10 and inside the 5 for him to continue this ascension as the fantasy season goes along. Yep. he. There's a, a little blimp where he was not a full-time player, but that was like around his shoulder injury. Uh, Alexander Masson's also been dealing with some injuries, so we'll see what the, the rotation is after this, but... Um, to me, I think this offense is looking pretty solid for a quote-unquote new offense. Um, Justin Jefferson, 15.9 expected half PPR points in the non-Detroit bracket games. And then Adam Thielen, five straight games with at least 11.5 expected half PPR points. Hasn't been nearly as explosive, um, but I think this offense is pretty functional. Uh, Justin Jefferson so far this year, I believe what, just two touchdowns receiving uh, in the first game. And then ever since doesn't have uh, another receiving touchdown, did have a rushing touchdown there in week four. So like as consistent as he has been as the, I don't know, wide receiver three in fantasy points per game. Um, there's an even higher ceiling with more touchdowns to be scored here. So yeah, my model thinks that he should have scored uh, almost two touchdowns more than he has this hey, season. Hey, now. Come on, models. Look beautiful for us. Okay. Uh, New England Patriots. Jesus. I, a few things to say about the Patriots. I, I think they're handling this quarterback situation really poorly, and not just Bill Belichick. And who am I to say this because I'm not one of you, but the Patriots fans. Um, like how you immediately, after a really rough start to a game, just turn your back on a quarterback, which it can be debated if you like him or if you don't, but for Bailey Zappi, who is who he is and nothing excellent. This is not like a Jalen Hurts situation. It's a limited player coming in here. And if this team wants to have a real future for this season, they have to turn back to Mac Jones mm -hmm. and you just booed the shit out of him to get off the field. Yeah, I don't understand this. It sounds like the B reporter consensus today after digging into this and after listening to the post game, it seems like Mac Jones really was pushing to play this game. Bill Belichick was kind of going back and forth, said, yes, I'll give you a chance to play, and then was willingly going to pull him if he didn't look that right. I went back to watch the Mac Jones stuff. I thought the team looked like shit. Yeah, uh, they kept starting these drives off. Uh, th his series, a zero-yard carry, a three-yard carry. He missed one cover, one shot to Taekwon Thorne, slightly overthrown. Then the next series, four-yard carry, one-yard carry. Then a check-down drop to Damian Harris. His interception was a very bad ball. Uh, the right tackle didn't help, help him out. The left tackle's been um, having uh, issues with, with penalties. 
it's been a mess all around. And Bailey Zappi, my evaluation of him is he does Mac Jones like things, but is smaller with less arm strength and is actually less mobile than Mac Jones. Um, so I don't know what we're doing here. Uh, I think that they made a poor decision. They should have not let Mac Jones play right. or let him figure these things out, but they put him in really bad situations. He was scrambling on like third and 11s every single time out there. And Bailey Zappi got really lucky. Uh, I could have completed that, that leak route. Um, he had a great throw to throw it up to Devonte Parker. And I guess maybe that's a criticism that you can say is Mac Jones needs to let his receivers win more, but this is this is we'll, we'll think about we'll laugh about this in like a couple of years I think I, I'm with you as well uh, and look I'm not one to tell fans what to do or what they can't do but booing Mac Jones immediately yeah. in that game when it's also a je- objectively hilarious that as soon as Bailey Zappi came into that game he had a wide open Ramondre Stevenson on that yeah. rub route and then a wide open Jacoby Myers for a walk in 30 yard touchdown that he almost missed that he almost missed. And also a weird thing to me is the big differences in the play calling between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Um, Mac Jones is last in the league for play or excuse me, a called play action 37 of 37, 10.8% of his passing attempts have come off of play action off dropbacks for yep. Bailey Zappi. It's the ninth most. At thirty one point six percent, these are like two different playbooks. Yeah, these are two different offenses, and weird. And that makes no sense to me. When on paper they should technically like win in the same ways. And on top of that, Mac Jones statistically is the most aggressive passer in the league right now, with the highest number of his pass yeah. attempts going twenty plus yards down the field. So I think this is coming back full circle of Mac Jones. Is he's been more aggressive, like you said, like. Adolf like at freaking 10 yards or something like that. They're giving him more on his plate, but some of his like arm limitations that we've talked about previously, he's found himself in a little bit more trouble this year. And I can tell he's not really uh, trusting his offensive line. They've been rotating players there. Um, and then they have, when they bring in Bailey Zappi, it's all just like quick hitting stuff. He kept getting lucky. They would blitz a linebacker and then Ramondre Stevenson's route would just be right there to fill in that gap. He kept getting lucky and lucky and lucky. Then he had a terrible interception. I mean, this is, it's too much. He's a worse version of Mac Jones. What are we doing here? Not to harp on the fans anymore, but for a fan base that has been running so hot at the quarterback position, they even had to live through it. Like all the 31 other organizations out there, like when your starter plays poorly for a short period of time and a backup comes in to look decent because of injury, how do we handle ourselves? I think they handled it in the worst way possible. Yeah. The worst way possible. Yeah. Um, we do need to quickly talk about this running back situation. I, it has been Damien, then Ramondre, Damien, then Ramondre. Ramondre obviously got the start here, but it went way deeper than that. Ramondre played for the vast majority of this game. We also have to consider it's negative game script and that Damien Harris magically healed from a significant hamstring injury. Yeah, that's he came back probably a week or two earlier than expected. Now, he was full, full, and then completely left on the injury report coming into this game. So unless the Patriots are lying on the injury report, which I'm not going to talk about that. Um, Damian Harris just didn't have that good of a game. He had that clear drop. And then, like you said, we're playing this game now where is the snap shares and stuff because of negative game script or because they like Ramondre Stevenson that that much more. I think what's going to happen is now Ramondre Stevenson is going to be the starter and they're going to kind of go back and forth drives how it was. But now it's a flippening where Ramondre is getting the 1A looks. 
Damian Harris is getting the one B looks. Ramondre is more likely to play passing situations. Maybe Damian Harris is a slight favorite for goal line stuff. I don't think that this will be as drastic just because um, he was coming off an injury maybe a week or so earlier. But this is serious because he was the name, the starter when Damian Harris was left off the injury report. And I don't want to exit this conversation without saying that Mac Jones has regressed this season. Uh, I need to say that too. Like he's just worse in ways that he was better at last year. It's more skittish in the pocket. More skittish in the pocket. New Orleans Saints, I have nothing written down for them. I mean, Chris Olave continues to perform. If I had to guess who was going to be the quarterback for the rest of the season, if there's only one, I would say it's Andy Dalton and not Jameis Winston. And it just sucks that we're not getting also Jarvis Landry and also uh, Michael Thomas out there. Well, it, it doesn't suck if you have Alvin Kamara or Chris Olave because they are getting all of the, the targets. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of notes here. It's really just comes down to who's quarterbacking, uh, who's who's healthy at wide receiver. And then I think that will even like get us down to how how is Taysom Hill going to be used here. So I think this is a, a a team for later in the week. New York Giants loved Wandale Robinson's early involvement in this game. Eight targets, six receptions, 50 yards, five targets, I believe, on the opening 11 passes. Uh, I'm going to pull up his tape here. Hopefully, you on the podcast feed are also watching us on YouTube. It's the best way to consume this show. Uh, it was different usage from Wandale this week than it was the week before. If you can remember back in week six, it was kind of these intermediate crossing routes. Here, it was a bit more manufactured stuff near the line of scrimmage. Quick, quick game, um, which is good. That means he can do both. Um it's just clear he moves differently than anyone else in this wide receiver grouping. Yeah, I, I can see this kind of going both ways. I, I see a limited player. I see a fun player. Um, but these are the type of players to me that get like kind of overhyped hyped up, hyped up yep. in fantasy circles. And like, unless you're in a sicko PPR league, isn't really going to matter. This is a lot of schemed up stuff. This is how they use him in college. His ADOT right now is at five yards downfield. Yep. It's good when there's nobody else to throw the ball to. It'll be worse when there are more competition uh, or when there's more tar- target competition for him. Uh, I, I think he's a fun player. I don't see like some exceptional athlete. Like I thought like Kadarius Tony looks way more athletic than Wanda Robinson. And he's just so tiny. Like some of these out routes and stuff, it's just going to be hard for him to really separate in fantasy. So I think cool story. I think the Giants found their slot receiver for the future. I'm not sure if I'm going to get too carried away in fantasy circles though. Yeah, uh, the Giants are also the best rushing team in the NFL. Uh, I'll go out and say this, and a huge part of it is not just, you know, Daniel Jones and his mobility, which they're accentuating, but it's Saquon Barkley being all the way back. This is ridiculous stuff that he's putting out there on a weekly basis. Uh, He and Josh Jacobs, it's like a y'all must have forgot situation. I believe both are on contract years, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, maybe something to keep in mind. And as Leonard Fournette, on the other hand, (laughs) he just got paid. There's a difference. Yeah. We'll get to him in a second. Um, I do think we're going to break down the Giants even more on this week's scheme. So uh, be sure to tune in to that on Thursday because I think Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are definitively scheming them up. Just to be clear, guys, Josh Norris and NFL quarterback are breaking down free content every single week. If you're not clicking on that video, you have lost your mind. It's great. I know it's new. It's a new thumbnail and stuff that pops up on Thursday or Friday for you. But hey, when you see and you see that scheme logo, click on Trust it. it. Come on. New York Jets. Big conversation here. So Brees Hall has been unbelievable this season. Brees Hall is now out for the rest of the year with a tear in his knee. 
James Robinson comes in for what that fifth or sixth rounder. Um, this is massive because Brees Hall is unlike other running backs where a team that has been relying on defensive play and the running game and how they're being creative in it. You can only open up so much space for running backs and need to have an individual talent to be incredibly explosive. And Brees Hall has been that way. I mean, he's had 15 carries of 10 plus yards so far this year. Meanwhile, Michael Carter has three, you know, we love Michael Carter as a talent, but just that same game changing speed is not there. So where do we go from here? How do we handle the Michael Carter and James Robinson fluidity moving forward? We also have to throw in the offensive line doesn't look as good. Elijah Vera Tucker's out for the season. I think it's a biceps or triceps injury for him. So now we're talking about a run first uh, offense and we have quarterback tape as well. And we don't have the explosiveness. I will say Michael Carter's tape last year looked a lot better than it has this year. I think he hasn't been fighting through contact and breaking as many tackles. Uh, I still think his vision is good and all that stuff. I do think that they will treat Michael Carter as the one a here. Now that since they're fifth in running back usage this season, there's enough for two running backs to make some noise here. I think it'll take some times for James Robinson to know the playbook, but James Robinson to me does not look right. We have his clip in a second. I think Michael Carter is just a better player than James Robinson. James Robinson is going to be able to pass protect and do some of that stuff while Michael Carter handles the early down stuff. But I am very concerned uh, with James Robinson uh, just this year. You can kind of see him. He's got this like little giddy up on all of his work. Uh, well, I, I don't I don't have that much faith in James Robinson the rest of the season just based off of the last couple of games. Yeah, something came out about this. The day that he was traded, um, you know, the Jaguars beat writers talked to Doug Peterson earlier in that day. And Doug Peterson said he was dealing with a knee issue. Um, do we even know if James Robinson has passed his physical with the Jets yet? Like, has that gone through? The the Jets or the Jets and the Jaguars Twitter accounts has said yes. But so go, I'll let you finish. But like he was left off the injury report coming into this week. So unless right. he had this in the middle of the game, but those are like the first snaps I looked, I was like, what the hell is going on with James Robinson? So and they're calling it a knee injury, but obviously he's coming off that torn Achilles. But the reason why like I'm treating ACLs and Achilles different is like the, the Achilles stuff. There's like fatigue issues that like the, an ACL that doesn't really have the same issues with. Yeah. And, and to that point, James Robinson opened the season with some surprising explosiveness, right? Um, he had, Gosh. Okay. Eight force missed tackles and 14 carries of 15 plus yards in his first 51 carries of the season. Right. Remember there are a few big plays sprinkled in there in these final three games. After that happening in the opening three games, he's had just two missed tackles forced and zero runs of 15 plus yards on 30 carries. Yeah. I'm with you. Like the explosiveness has been sapped completely out of him. Um, I think both backs are dependable enough. Once James Robinson, who it's an incredible story, what he's been able to do so far in his career, but what, you know, Michael Floor has been doing so well with the only one to create explosives and consistently create positive plays with pony personnel. It's just going to happen differently. You know, mm-hmm. we could see more Braxton Berrios manufactured things. And I also am firmly in the camp that Michael Carter is the lead back here. Yeah. Now, this also begs the question, okay, if you can't just rely on the running game anymore to create these big plays, you have invested a top 10 selection in Garrett Wilson, a second round pick in Elijah Moore. Do they now finally, with a worse offensive line, open up the passing attack for Zach Wilson? Because 
basically on all accounts, they've tried to avoid that until they had to against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I put a clip together of all of his uh, pass attempts beyond like five air yards, and not many of them were completed. The What happened last week, and I think this is my biggest fear with him as a prospect, is the under-pressure stuff. At BYU, he was never under pressure. He, they're playing like freaking... Throwing highways he had. Yeah, I mean, he's, they're playing nobodies uh, with, with their schedule. What the Broncos did and the, what they've been doing all year is they've been bringing like simulated pressures. Pressures coming from where you wouldn't expect them. A corner blitz, a linebacker, they'll stunt their players. And Zach Wilson did not have answers for that. And I think that would be uh, even made more true with some of the offensive line injuries. Uh, Garrett Wilson has looked fine yards after the catch-wise. He's not a complete player. Uh, they are trying to get Elijah Moore back in the building. I think he will suit up this week. Um, I'm hoping that they get Elijah more and more manufactured touches, but they don't have like a structured pass game right now. And you take away the explosive plays uh, from from Brees Hall in the run game, and all of a sudden, I think you're going to see a lot of Braxton Barrios running sideways before the snaps, and that offense can only get you so far, in my opinion. A few notes here. Uh, they do play the Patriots, the Bills, and the Patriots again over the next three games. Mm. Uh, I know what the Patriots defense just allowed to Justin Fields, but if you dig into it, a lot of those third down conversions that Justin Fields was hitting was because of his legs and those extended plays. It's the same thing when you go back to Lamar Jackson earlier this season, the same thing with Josh Allen last season. Um, these quarterbacks that can legitimately run the football against a very organized man coverage on these um, plays that are extended is the kryptonite to a Bill Belichick defense. Mm -hmm. That's not Zach Wilson's game. Like he can try to do some of that crazy circus stuff along the sideline. That's a incredibly difficult matchup. We know how difficult it is against the bills as well, but like, I don't know if they have a choice other than to do this Hayden. Like it's, it's kind of that simple to me where they're firmly in the playoff hunt. the, the Jets are, but it's a case where so far this year, every single situation other than second and eight plus and third down with one to two yards to go, they are well below the pass rate over expectation. Yeah. Well below. Um, so I'm not saying like this has to be an evaluate for the rest of the season scenario for Zach Wilson, but I do think it is going to be telling for Zach Wilson's development of we put all these pieces around you. Every team deals with injuries, maybe not to the same degree, but every team does. And he has to show something. He does. Yeah. They, they need to see if he's their franchise quarterback. Cause like right now I would say no. So they, they need to get, get back to the passing stuff to see if he has it or not. Cause otherwise they have to make some pieces because the defense is arriving quicker than expected. And we know the skill position talent is going to be here for 2023. The quarterback is the big question mark here. And I think that Zach Wilson has not shown me anything to believe that he is the guy. Last question for you, Josh. Michael Carter finishes as the running back blank for the rest of the season. I'm going running back 15. Ooh, that's a great one. Okay, let me pull up the current running backs and where their status is. Um, I'm going to guess, I don't know, man, like Dalvin Cook has a much... Uh, I would take Dalvin for sure over Michael Carter. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. But some names above that line right now are like CEH and Jamal Williams... Would you rather have Zeke or Michael Carter? Um, Michael Carter. I don't, yeah, Michael Carter. But it's after that line of like Kenneth Walker and Travis Etienne, obviously. Um, and Miles Sanders, I'm going to put him after that. But ahead of, yeah, I think 
Zeke and Brian Robinson and Najee Harris. I'll put Michael Carter above that grouping. Is that fair? Yeah, we need we need Flacco in there to get Michael Carter really cooking Flacco. again. I'm telling you, you do not want Jets Twitter after you. They do not want to look at the world through anything other than these green glasses. And look, I am not saying Zach Wilson can't do it. I'm saying with how this team has been calling play since he returned to this lineup, they don't want us to see if he can or can't do it. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, he still throws that beautiful out route, like that deep out or that deep comeback. But that's that's just about it. Let's see. Let's be optimistic. Philadelphia Eagles, uh, they're also coming out of a bye. The one thing that I have my eye on, we can buzz through this team quickly, is the difference, once again, in Jalen Hurts' aggressiveness down the field. Uh, in weeks two and three, he had an average depth of throw of 9.1 and 11.8. Then it was 6.2 because of that weather game against Jacksonville. Then 3.5 against the Cardinals because of all those offensive line injuries to Jordan Mailata and Jason Kelsey. And 4.7 against the Dallas Cowboys when Lane Johnson went out, plus you're facing the Cowboys defense. So like, are we ever going to get this downfield vertical passing? Or is it, hey, let's take these layups with the yards after catch threats that we have, plus this rushing game that we have with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders? Yeah, to me, it's like not even about the average depth of targets. Like how much are they passing the ball in general? And they can win in every phase. So it's just really, I think it's going to come down to matchups and stuff. So I think on our Friday shows in particular, we'll walk through this. Um, but you have to make the math work with all these players. And it only works when they have uh, elite passing volume. I think at the end of the day, they'll probably be like somewhere in the middle of the pack when it comes to uh, pass attempts. Their schedule very easy the rest of the way. The Eagles are a very good football team. The defense is good. Offensive line is good. We know the skill players are good. Jalen Hurts has been playing well. So um, I don't see them being in like that many shootouts for the next couple of weeks either. Pittsburgh Steelers, Kenny Pickett to George Pickens is working as we predicted on Friday's show. But uh, Kenny Pickett to Deontay Johnson is not working. I think that's why you like Kenny Pickett so much is because he, he doesn't like to throw accurate footballs to Deontay Johnson. Th- that's what Deontay Johnson's problem has been. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, George Pickens doesn't have a problem with them, you know. Five yards per target. I love that uh, Levitan uh, tweeted that out. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's limited in some some ways for sure. He's not like the, a decision maker necessarily. Um, I do want to say that that last interception was man coverage. The corner's back was turned to him, and he throws it up one-on-one coverage. Uh, but it, this is they're, – they're struggling out there. There's, let's not disguise this. This is – hoping for the best with George Pickens. The rest of these guys uh, don't have that much allegiance to. Lovely. San Francisco 49ers. Uh, We did get Chris McCaffrey in this game. He did see 10 carries. Uh, As you said on the Sunday night recap, they were basically like pointing in the direction of where you should go and like where you should align. Um, There's not too much we can take from this other than it's pretty clear that the 49ers have been needing to pass the ball of these last two games, and they've been passing the ball in these last two games. When you're losing by a lot randomly uh, because the, the defense has been you know, injured and they played the freaking Chiefs, uh, all of a sudden the math becomes it's you're able to, to figure out the math part of it because they're throwing the ball so much. So um, I think the defense will get better as they get healthier. Christian McCaffrey, I think there's no reason to look into any of the results last week. Uh, I think the 49ers will end up being pretty good. Yeah, I would expect Chris McCaffrey to get 18 to 20 touches this week. Yep. And then we we move on from there. Um, I mean, some nice runs of 8 to 12 yards. Like, it's 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 really clear it's going to be a success here. So, 
Uh, just hopefully that defense can get back to where they were to start the year too. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I definitely want to talk about a few names here on the Seattle Seahawks. DK Metcalf, it's questionable if he's going to play in week eight. Uh, it's questionable no how he long he's going to play out. All that we got was a typical Pete Carroll quote of him saying, I don't want to come to conclusions on it. Thanks, Pete. Um, now, what we did see in this game was DK Metcalf, Geno Smith, Tyler Lockett, again, hitting these vertical passes and opening it up. Um but what I love to see was Marquise Goodwin stepping up in a big way as an outside wide receiver once DK Metcalf went down because the guy still has speed and still has ups for a 31-year-old Olympic athlete. I didn't realize he was 31. Wow. Um, yeah. After the game, Pete Carroll was like, yeah, Marquise, Marquise Goodwin's going into the DK Metcalf role. I don't know exactly what that means except for downfield shots. Geno Smith still dicing up everybody. Uh, he's the most accurate quarterback in the league this year, and it's not even close. You can look at completion percentage over expected or just watch the games. You can tell he doesn't miss many throws at all. Obviously, Tyler Lockett's oh, going to go to the moon. This is uh, beautiful. Yeah, I think Marquise Goodwin's like a sicko league flex play. I'm, I'm in so much get... deeper than that. Oh, I'm you, in you so much deeper than that. Top 45 fantasy receiver in my rankings this week. Are you right? Is that where we're at? Uh, let's go top 36 wide receiver in your wow. fantasy leagues this week. Okay. I mean, there I mean, there is room to make the math work on this. You got a high-quality offense. Yeah. I mean, these were great throws by Gino, but what Gino does this year is give his wide receivers opportunities to make plays down the field. Mm -hmm. And look, this team has spent, you know, a second-round pick on D. Eskridge and, like, have tried out Penny Hart and these other players. No. They're nobodies. Um, Tyler Lockett and Marquise Goodwin are, are the dudes in this grouping, okay? I'm in way, way, way too deep. Really? I was not and, expecting this. And here's the reason why, okay? DK Metcalf leads the NFL in his percent of teams' targets inside the red zone this season. Did you know this? At 45.5%. A team that's thrown wow. a bunch of touchdowns, not just mm -hmm. inside the red zone, but outside the red zone. Now, he only has one catch on those 10 targets. Who are those going to? Or no, they weren't going to Tyler Lockett. Pete Carroll just told us they're going to Marquise Goodwin, a dude who climbed the ladder right here to win contested. Let's go up and get it. Now, granted, J.C. Jackson ruptured his patella tendon on that play, yeah. but you allow an athlete to win in athletic ways. Marquise Goodwin has had his moments in this league, has had a lot of stuff happen to him during his career. Um what I saw in week seven, I think it translates to how aggressive of a passer and the type of offense this team is running right now. I'm in. Okay, this is what we're going to do. In my rankings, Josh, you are placing Marquise Goodwin in my rankings this week. And I'll put it all. I'm not here. I'm up. taking a little vacation this weekend. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to edit my rankings. Um, to me, this just means more Ken Walker. And the guy is just electric. We don't even have to talk about him. He is as good as we talked about on the show since about February. The dude is just phenomenal. I, yeah. I, I think they get Travis Homer perhaps back, but there's room for throw him a couple more targets. Yeah, I'm with you. And again, it's not like this team is one of those that, hey, we have to get the red zone and that's where we get our points. Like they are scoring touchdowns outside the red zone, not just in the air, but also Kenneth Walker is dynamite. And hopefully if you all watch this this offseason, you drafted a ton of him because when he was going as wide receiver 38 pre-hernia injury, we were like, hey, no. get on that. And post, hey, 
so pretty good player here. Um, okay, a couple more names left. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So this seems just not working. It sucks to see. Uh, this is from Robert Mays. They have converted on just four of 43 downs of third and seven plus this season. That's tough. Chris Godwin, I think, is reliable each and every week. Obviously, Mike Evans would have had a much bigger day if he caught that 75-yard touchdown. But it goes beyond that here. Um, How would you want to start this conversation? Well, I think it starts with the left guard in the center. I've seen them get mad at those two. Um, Donovan Smith right now has been struggling. Right now, the Buccaneers are first in pre-snap penalties or first in false starts, top three in pre-snap penalties on offense, they're they're putting themselves in bad situations because they're running the ball on, on early downs still way too much for my like, liking. Uh, some reporter, I felt bad for him, was trying to explain what EPA was to um, yeah. the offense coordinator, and he was not having it. And he was like, you don't think we're running the ball effectively? And we're like, yeah, we don't think uh, Leonard Fournette is doing I, anything right now. I, I think the main quote was, asking about epa on first down runs yeah and then as soon as byron Leftwich heard the term epa he just scoffed at it yeah and he's just like every single play we're doing what's best for the offense um now to the rushing department hayden i think it's pretty easy argument to make that rashad white has more juice than leonard fournette right now and is better in pass protection as i said in the show a couple weeks ago than than leonard fournette is right now yeah, right now, like how I'm d- describing how Leonard Fournette's playing is like he has like a fractured clavicle or something. Whenever he hits the hole, he like stops his feet and like doesn't like run through players. We showed that one clip, remember, where he ran ass backwards into the hole. Uh, he is dodging people in pass protection. I've never seen Leonard Fournette play like this. I, I don't know what's going on. Rashad White has had some hit and miss uh, performances himself. He's like averaging like 2.7 yards per carry. The offensive line has not been very good. What I'm hoping and what I could see based off of just the comments from the coaching staff is that they might make some adjustments here. And I, I don't know when their buy is, but coming out of the buy, a post by rookie bump candidate, I'm making the cover image of whatever show that is for Rashad White. I say just go super pass heavy and just yeah. bring Rashad White in. That would be my formula for this. The, the Mike Evans stuff has been really unlucky. There was not, aside from the drop, there was a couple of just go routes where he wasn't really like, you know, he turned the wrong way. They weren't on the same page. A couple of these passes to Chris Godwin, barely incomplete. I still think Tom Brady still has got velocity same. Um, and accuracy for days still. I think they'll still figure this damn thing out, but the coaching staff and the offensive line have to gel. I was going to say the same thing, like maybe chat and the comments after the show think I'm an absolute lunatic, but I think that there's enough still on the table for them to figure it out in the next 11 weeks of this season. Um, It won't take much to get into the playoffs in the NFC. Uh, The defense has to play a lot better. The defense should not be allowing those big plays as we showed earlier with the Panthers and the rushing and the passing game. But I keep harping back to Tom Brady's first year there in Tampa and how it really didn't hit until like week 12. Maybe, I mean, but they have the Ravens, they have the Rams, they have the Seahawks over their next three games. The weird thing about Rashad White I mean, he is playing, (laughs) you know, he had like 38% of the snaps, 39% of the snaps, 22%, and then 43% over these last four weeks. That has given us what eight touches, eight touches, seven touches and seven touches again. So I don't know when a short week against the Ravens on Thursday night football that that's when they turn to him completely. But 
it wouldn't shock me at all if we see just like an outright flip because it's like we said, not just more juice in the running game from a pure effort and success standpoint, Rashad white is a better pass protector right now than Leonard Fournette is. Yeah. And it's like inexcusable why that is. Um, Chris Godwin, my God, uh, wide receiver five in usage. I had that super aggressive ranking last week, and then he had the usage to back it up and then just didn't do anything with it right now. He's a third unluckiest wide receiver when it comes to touchdowns over expected. That's Chris Godwin being unlucky that this is when the regression is, uh, it's going to happen no matter what. And I agree with everyone out there that Tom Brady needs to take some hits to hit these bigger plays, but I think like that's, happening more often in those situations because of how bad the left guard is. Like he, he might be the worst in football. Yeah. It's been Gideki, whatever his name is. Mike. Okay. Two more teams, Tennessee Titans, literally nothing to say here. It's a Derrick Henry show. Um, the passing game really doesn't matter when Derrick Henry is getting like 30 carries. It's just amazing that they are the one team that keeps doing this. They are so vanilla and they just spring up for a four and two record because Mike Vrabel is Mike Vrabel. Yeah, I can't explain it. I haven't watched them this week yet. Um, all I see, my note for Derrick Henry, uh, in losses, he's averaging 11 expected half PPR points and wins 19.1. So just read the matchups. If you have a good feeling that the Titans are going to win ball games, it's time to play Derrick Henry in DFS. If you don't think they're going to win, it's time to fade him. And even more importantly, in Battle Royale, where you can draft him and play the best DFS game out there, which is on Underdog Fantasy. If you've never played it, section $15 off this weekend and go play battle Royale. Did you see what happened last week in battle Royale? Yeah. Yeah. The, the so, chat, and this is good news for you guys. Somebody, they played once their entire life last week, once and binked it for 50,000. Yep. So go learn the game. Cause right now the, the prize pools will get bigger and bigger and bigger as our company grows. And it is the wild, wild West. There's not that much content for it. All you got to do is stack it up. Like you would in regular DFS, add one or two, uh, undrafted player. You For example, this bit. past weekend with he knew he drafted Joe Burrow in the fifth round because you only draft six players and then rather taking the next player on ADP. He's like, I'm going to stack it and take Tyler Boyd Dang. as my sixth pick. And then that was hit. That was the nuts. Yep. And that's why this person won. Uh, I guarantee you, you couldn't go and enter a $25 DFS million dollar tournament and win your first time ever doing it because yeah. you don't know roster construction. You don't know percentage of ownership. You don't know any of that stuff. You can do that by going and playing on Battle Royale and just entering for five bucks. It All 700 of you watching right now should go and play Battle Royale. It's the best DFS game out there, I truly believe. It, it really is. And just like open the draft board. It's snake drafts just as we're used to on, on our 10 site. minutes? Yeah. And we've given you, you know, $100 if you use promo code the show. It's the same principles except you you know the roster rates because it's based off of the ADP. Scroll down. Your last two picks, scroll down just a little bit. Yeah, find a find a player, um, and then just make sure you know where like Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey are being drafted. You don't want to be like the only one not at the tight end party, right? And if there are a bunch of teams on by, uh, maybe getting one of those elite quarterbacks is the way to go too. Okay, we'll close with Washington Commanders after that infomercial. Um, as I know, you celebrated Taylor Heineke came back in this game. Um, I was not surprised to see that Taylor Terry McLaurin had to get like home in the exact same way. He got home last season where he must feel like as soon as a play is called in the huddle and he's like, dang it, I got to run a 17 yard 
come back along the sideline, that I'm going to get pummeled by three defenders while I'm yeah. in the air trying to make this off target and slow football heading in my direction from Taylor, from Taylor Heineke. That first half was brutal for Taylor Heineke. Um, and it could have been much worse if there wasn't for uh, – uh, a stupid holding um, balls were being thrown behind Terry McLaurin about the end. He just kept making plays down the stretch here. Oh, I mean, uh, he's hurt. I know it's really just it's like car crashes that look, he's trying to make a play, but then he's being led or all of the separation that he has is just getting eliminated. I did go back and look at like, Hey, did this change the average at the target for Terry McLaurin in this game? No, it was still nine and a half before that. It was about seven or eight. That was two weeks. Though. But Terry, Terry can do it. Like it is so much more difficult, but he is this damn talented that he can win with these lollipops being thrown in his direction. Now, what was, what was interesting is like Curtis Samuel's usage didn't really tank all that much. I think that he will be slightly worse just because I think the way that Taylor Heineke plays, he's just like looking for a deep ball and this kind of to uh, someone like Terry, Terry McLaurin. Um, the running back situation is definitely in flux what happened was jd mckissick only ran around 27 percent of dropbacks which is like way lower than it typically is they got antonio gibson back into kind of a third third down passing situation role to kind of complement brian robinson brian robinson 12.5 and 16 expected half ppr points in his two starts he's not running that many routes 22 percent routes for him so he's third in the line when it comes to like projected targets and all that stuff but he's first in line when it comes to touchdowns so it really just comes down to Will Washington score enough points for Brian Robinson to ma- matter? I think I'll be ranking him somewhere in the 20s. I don't think I'm going to be like making him like a top 15 running back. Um, but Antonio Gibson's holding on for dear life right now. That's going to do it. Appreciate everyone for tuning in. Weaves, thanks for cutting all the clips for us. I need to give you a shout out every single week. Dave, Robert, Alpha, Chris, Adam, Stephen, all of you in the chat, Jerry, we appreciate it. That went way longer than I expected. But we move. Go check out Hayden's Fantasy Future column and go check out our Thursday and Friday show as well. Up the villa. We will talk to you all soon. See ya. <laughs>